This is the T-Zone by MAC Cosmetics, dishing out a behind-the-brush look at the beauty industry and beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our very first episode of the T-Zone by MAC. I'm Drew Elliott. I'm the Global Creative Director for MAC Cosmetics. And hi there. I'm John Dempsey, Executive Group President at the Estee Lauder Companies and proud father of MAC. The Mac Daddy. So John is humble, won't tell you kind of like the big deal, but he is one of the main men in beauty and oversees brands like Mac and Clinique, Too Faced, Smashbox, Glam Glow, and Tom Ford Beauty. So John, I've known you for a long time. I've known you since I was, we met at a party when I was 19 in New York. I remember, Drew, it was actually for a Viva Glam launch. You were a club kid working the door, going to school. And I remember you were following me around and I kept thinking, who's this enthusiastic guy here? And from those early days of knowing you as really someone who was born out of the Mac culture club and generation and to see you evolving to becoming the creative director of Mac after such an amazing career that you've had with being the creative director and editor-in-chief of Paper Magazine and creating all those iconic internet moments, breaking the internet with Kim Kardashian and and the list of celebrities that go on and on and on and on. You know, it's funny because at that party, you know, the fire department came and they wouldn't let you in. And I got them to let you in the party because it was overcrowded. And and I, to this day, I still think I'm like, if I didn't get them in, would I, would I be sitting here and, and working at Mac Cosmetics? Who knows, which is, is funny. But it's a dream come true to work for Mac. I felt like I was always a cousin, but it's good to be in, you know, in part of the real family and get to create such amazing things together. You are a visionary, modern, creative genius, and it was your idea to create this unique opportunity to draw people together to have interesting conversations about beauty, life, and the times we live in right now. Well, I think, you know, the people who don't know you and probably most people here know you from Instagram, but I think you are, you know, you have probably the most active account on Instagram that I know and probably the one that, you know, truly is the zeitgeist, you know, almost like the history book of what's happening in the moment of the moment. And so I think it's fun to be able to come here and be able to talk to all these, like some of the most creative people in the world will be with us who've done tremendous things. So I think, you know, in all the work that you've done with Mac and all the brands that you oversee, you know, you are always advocating to make sure that we are always at the center of pop culture. So I think that's what T-Zone is all about, is, you know, spilling the tea about the amazing people who are at ground zero of what's happening inside of pop culture. We have so much to talk about, but for our first episode, we're going to be diving into Mac's most iconic campaign of all time, and that's Mac Viva Glam. Really one of the, the true reasons I even started at Mac. For those of you who aren't already familiar, Viva Glam was created in 1994 by Frank Toskin and the late Frank Angelo, the original founders of MAC Cosmetics, as a community response to raise money, to raise awareness for men, women, and children affected by HIV AIDS. I always like to say that MAC really was one of the first responders in the HIV AIDS pandemic 
around the world. And the campaign is super simple. The idea was and still is that we have a product or a group of products called Viva Glam. They're lipsticks. And 100% of the selling price of these products goes directly to organizations on the ground making a difference. And since our inception in 1994, we've raised over a half a billion dollars. And we are the largest non-pharma fundraising mechanism in the world to date. And it's something that we are all incredibly proud of. And the campaign of Viva Glam, which has always been very disruptive and reflects the mantra and DNA of our brand, all ages, all races, all genders, goes back to the original amazing idea of RuPaul, who was our first Viva Glam spokesperson. And over the course of 27 Viva Glam campaigns, we have had over 50 of the most amazing, iconic pop culture icons lending their celebrity, their voice, and their creativity to the powerful mission of raising money via the sale of Viva Glam products. You know, what's so amazing, Viva Glam is almost like a rite of passage. So if you are someone, if you've done someone incredible, you have been a Viva Glam spokesperson. And I'm super excited about this year. It's the 27th anniversary, and we are so excited to pay tribute to the late iconic artist Keith Haring and honor his creative legacy. He was really one of the first artists to, you know, confront HIV AIDS. You know, he sadly passed away from it, but really use his art as activism. And I believe that that's what Mac has always done. I always like to think, or I always say that buying a Mac Viva Glam lipstick is something that's an amazing gesture because you can buy something that you can wear and enjoy And at the same time, know that buying that product goes directly to help people in need and raising money for others who need our help. I'm so proud that Mac continues to do good and raise money via the sale of our Viva Glam products. You can always buy a Viva Glam lipstick, one, two, or three, around the world every day in a Mac counter. And The selling price, 100%, will continue to go to supporting women and girls, the LGBTQIA community, and people affected by HIV and AIDS. And as Drew said, we have an amazing 27th anniversary collection of three Viva Glam products inspired by and featuring the artwork of the late Keith Haring. They are in his classic color palette. So it's we have a red, we have a yellow, and we have a blue. And so, you know, I think so special. And one of the things that I, I always dreamt about as a young person was to get to do a Mac Viva Glam campaign. And so I'm so, you know, pleased to do this and work with the Keith Herring Foundation because, you know, this is made of legend. So, you know, Lady Gaga, Ariana Grande, Rihanna, Elton John, Mary J. Blige, you know, that's just to name a few of the amazing people. And John, I think we have one of the amazing spokespeople, you know, here with us today. Actually, we do. Of all the spokespeople we've worked with over the years, there is one in particular who has a special place in my heart, and that's my good friend, our good friend, 
fashion and beauty icon and world-famous burlesque performer, Dita Von Teese. Dita served as the face of our 2006 Viva Glam campaign, along with Eve, Lisa Marie Presley, and Debbie Harry. She also fronted the 2007 campaign alongside Eve. And Dita arguably is the hardest working Viva Glam ambassador of all time. She went above and beyond to spread the message during that period, even performing on stage on a giant mechanical Viva Glam lipstick as part of her burlesque shows and continues to lend her hand in her fight against HIV and AIDS to this day. We are so thrilled to be joined on our first show, The T-Zone, The Dita Von T-Zone, today. Well, hello, Dita Von Teese. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm amazing. Welcome to The T-Zone with John Dempsey and I. Hi, John. Hi, Dita. (laughs) Long time no see. I know. I know. It's been too long. I'm ready to get back to it, back to our... Where are you right now? I'm in LA at home. I'm in my living room. I've got the fire going. It's a rainy day in LA for once. Yeah, I'm just getting ready for my New Year's Eve extravaganza. So lots of planning for that, showbiz planning. You've seen all the content. It looks amazing and festive and over the top, but this broadcast isn't going to come out until January, right, Drew? Right. Okay. But your New Year's your New Year's Eve is the kickoff to your world tour, right? Pretty much. I mean, it's a different show, but it is my return to the stage after all this time. And then I'll leave at the end of January to start the Europe and the UK tour. So you haven't been on stage all this time? Not really. I did one streaming special last year, but I don't think that really counts because there was no live audience. I think the closest I've come to having a live audience performance was I did Dancing with the Stars in Paris. I just got back a couple weeks ago. So that was my first experience in all this time in front of a live audience. How was Dancing with the Stars? I mean, it was a lot of fun. It's really working in Paris on a TV show, I think is a lot different than working in Hollywood. Why is that? I mean, I think, you know, there's just things that you get kind of used to, you know, we have a lot, we have a lot of unions here and uh, (laughs) (laughs) I felt like I was constantly like kind of questioning. Did you win Dita or did you go to the finals or what happened? Well, I was always in the top three every week for like nine weeks. And I was surprising myself because I've never danced like that before. And I don't think they expected me to stay so long or do that well. So they decided to send me home because I think they were trying to figure out how to send me home for a while because I think I was costing them a lot to stay there too. It's really funny. I, they were trying to figure, I could tell for weeks they were trying to figure out how to get rid of me. And they finally did by giving me the two hardest dances in the same week, which is jive and samba, which are like the ones that people dread doing. And so I had to learn two full dances. And then they put me up for, they said, this week's scores don't matter. The judging scores don't matter. It's up to the audience. And, you know, my following in France is like 4% compared to like the YouTuber that, 
has 3 million followers only in France. So like I could never win that, you know. So did the YouTuber win the contest in France? No, but he went to the finals. He got third place. So do you think that Dancing with the Stars like is like, do (laughs) they kind of design it based off of who they, who's costing them too much money and glam and styling? I think there is a lot of politics. I can't reveal all, but it was, I was warned actually. (laughs) I was kind of like, I'm going to get to the finals fair and square with like good dancing. And other people around were like, actually, that's not how television works, which I should have learned that lesson before. (laughs) You've done a lot of TV in the past. I mean, weren't you a judge on RuPaul Drag Race? Yeah. And they always told me in my ear what I was supposed to say and whether... (laughs) (laughs) You know, come on, like, let's get real. It's, you know, the biggest lesson I had in television was when I went on Cupcake Wars, the celebrity version. And I went on, they said, you can bring somebody with you to help you bake. And I was like, all right, I'm bringing Christine McConnell from the Netflix show, like a great (laughs) baker. And so, and I'm also a great baker. (laughs) So we go on there and, you know, they completely like said on, on, camera in front of the room, like, this is the best chocolate cupcake in the history of cupcake wars. And then they sent me home first because they real, because they realized, I think they were like, the winner makes cupcakes for the national spelling bee. And I think they went, Oh, wait, hold on. Wait, the stripper is the best baker in the bunch. We got to get rid of her. <laughs> so it was kind of that. I heard that you have a completely pink kitchen. Is that true? That was once upon a time. I had two pink kitchens and I decided to go the opposite. Well, it's not really the opposite, but I think it's kind of like a more grown up kitchen. And now my kitchen's all dark green and copper. And, you know, it's like three shades of green. So it's like a sexy kitchen. Do you have an island in the middle of the kitchen or is it, how is it structured? I don't have an island. It's kind of a small (laughs) kitchen. My house is from the 20s. And, you know, it had been suggested by the former owner, she was going to knock out a wall and turn the dining room into a kitchen. I was like, no, I like this. I like the thing about having the door between the two. I like the old fashionedness of a, you know, modest kitchen and a formal dining room. You know, I don't know. I like it. (laughs) So I did not put an island. Dita, you just said you were at your house cozy in the fire. Mm -hmm. Like, what does Dita Von wear? in the middle of the pandemic, like at home? Do you wear the full (laughs) look? Like what happens? Well, it kind of goes in phases. Like today, for instance, I had a dance rehearsal and so I'm still in my dance rehearsal clothes. But normally, you know, I'm really into my Catherine Delish dressing gowns. I'm sure you know about the phenomenon of these, every drag queen and burlesque dancer and everyone in between has this feather dressing gown But she actually makes these really beautiful, like really fancy, without feathers, luxurious gowns, which are made out of like cotton modal and silk velvet. And I love wearing a a sweeping dressing gown because it's comfortable and, you know, but listen, during the pandemic, which I like to think we're coming out of now, I was wearing like a jumpsuit from Amazon Prime, just to be real. Like sweatpants? Not sweatpants, but like a jump, like a one, like a jumpsuit that I found that was like the simple black off the shoulder jumpsuit is going to be my uniform for a little while during this situation. Does Dita Von wear a ponytail? I have a ponytail right now because I was at dance rehearsal, (laughs) but that's why we're not on camera right now. (laughs) (laughs) So 
I've known you, Dita, since the beginning of the millennium. <laughs> yes, and that's true. Actually, you are one of my favorite iconic people that over the years Mac has worked for on the iconic Viva Glam campaign. And we worked together 16 years ago. Yes. When you first ended up on the stage on that giant bucking <laughs> Viva Glam. I always remember you saying, we're going to need some more insurance when they put that piece of heavy machinery over the pool. <laughs> you know, do you remember the stage that was over the pool? And then we put a mechanical bull on it that weighs like a couple tons. And you said, we're going to need more insurance. We thought we were going to get electrocuted. Yeah. But I was like, listen, it's fine. What a way to go. Riding a giant Viva Glam lipstick. <laughs> Have you ever used that lipstick, the Viva Glam mechanical lipstick again? Oh, yeah. It's part of my Glaminatrix tour. I gave it like a full fetish makeover because, you know, originally I wrote it like a pink rhinestone cowgirl. Right. And so I basically just re-glittered it because, you know, originally when we, when we made it, it was the Viva Glam color, which was, you know, this is 20, right. 20 years ago almost or something. And I remember back then with Viva Glam, it was very like, we can't do red because red lipstick doesn't really sell to the masses back then, which is not true now. And so I had a ba like kind of a beigey pink color. And so the Viva Glam that I originally rode was this beigey pink color. So yeah, now it's r glittery red and it's part of my fetish themed show. What do you do in the fetish themed show? Like give <laughs> us some kind of like, what, what are we going to see on the mm -hmm. 2022 European tour? Well, I've always been really, the art of John Willie has always been my biggest influence in like femme fatale fashion. So I really wanted to do something that leans into that. So the, I think the star of this number is these Louboutin boots that are fetish boots and they're crotch high patent leather, like really nice, like form fitting patent leather with Swarovski crystal Victorian buttons that go all the way up to the thigh. And they have like a red Swarovski sole, of course, and they have English spurs on the back that were all custom made. So Mr. Louboutin made these, these boots just for this show. And of course, as usual, like all of my shows, I get myself into some real predicaments with the complicated clothes and every outfit has its new challenges. But your complicated clothing, you have to also be able to take them a bit off, right? Yes, exactly. Well, that's kind of one of the jokes. Well, I love doing things that seem impossible, striptease that seems or is impossible until you just make yourself learn how to do it. But, you know, it's like, it's amazing to be fully dressed and to have an evolution through the number. I don't know. I just always love the idea of striptease as something that's playful and fun and liberating. And, you know, it's just something I decided to do so long ago because it was niche and funny. And I thought, why isn't someone bringing back this striptease that was very popular in the 40s. Like, why don't I do it? So you're basically Gypsy Rose Lee. I guess I would be the modern Gypsy Rose Lee. I mean, I didn't expect or think that I could ever be make it in show business this way in this era. You know, it doesn't really make sense. But what I think is amazing about burlesque now versus Gypsy Rose Lee's era is that I have a big female and LGBTQIA fan base. It's not, you know, the heterosexual male gaze anymore like it would have been 
in the 40s and 50s. So I feel really grateful for that. It gives me longevity and it gives more purpose and meaning behind something that could be as frivolous as striptease, <laughs> you know? Is there like a boot camp for burlesque? Like, what do you have to actually, like you said, do the impossible things? Like, how do you learn this? Like, what's the rigor? Like, how did Dita Von Teese become Dita Von Teese? I mean, it's a long, it was a long, slow thing where I originally I started as a pinup girl and I kind of saw this connection between pinup and burlesque because I was studying pinups in vintage men's magazines of the 40s. And a lot of the girls that posed for those pinups were also burlesque dancers and they kind of used the pinups to promote their, their shows. And so I started there and I was a playboy model in the nineties. And I also was on the strip club circuit, like doing all the big fancy. In those years, were you Heather Sweet or were you Dita Von Tisa? No, I was always, well, actually I was just Dita for a long time. And then when I was in playboy, they told me I had to pick a last name that I couldn't be, you know, and I argued, I was like, listen, Cher, Madonna, why can't I just be Dita? And they're like, no, you have to have a last name. So that's how the Von Tees came along. And basically that was a typo because I said, I've picked a name out of the phone book, which was Von Trees. Cause I thought it sounded cool <laughs> to have a Von in your name and exotic, you know, it's not, you know, I thought it sounded European, which, it, you know, so I found this name and then it was a typo and they printed it Von T's. And I remember fighting them on it. Like, can you guys get it right next month? And then they just never did. So I left it. Are you even German? No, I'm like, <laughs> or Austrian. No, <laughs> but listen, I was 19 with a yellow pages and a, you know, a wine cooler, a Bartles and James wine cooler in my hand. I was just, I didn't know I was going to be like, I didn't know. I met your family from Michigan. <laughs> I met your mom. Yeah. So when your mother <laughs> called you during the pandemic, did she ask to speak to Dita or Heather? She calls me Heather. Like I think my <laughs> mom and my sisters, you know, my family, but like a lot of people around me kind of switch interchangeably between the two names. I don't really think much about it. You know, I think it's nice to have boundaries, you know, especially as a striptease star. I think it's kind of nice to have these like boundaries between people like public kind of thing. So Drew and I are two dudes in the business of selling makeup. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is our first broadcast and we chose you. Drew and I could not think of anyone who personifies the power of makeup for self-expression mm. and glamification and transformation. So, Oh, thank you. Well, that's what it is for me, you know? The other thing we all have in common, we're all from the Midwest. John's from the Midwest. Oh. I'm from the mm -hmm. Midwest. I'm from Indiana. John from Ohio. What's it mm -hmm. like going home to the Midwest for you? Mm. Well, I love it. I'm from Michigan, and I... I've only been back a few times in the last like 25 years. I was back a few years ago and performing in Detroit, which was very, and, and Grand Rapids. It was very exciting to me because I was in one of those big, beautiful historic theaters. And if, you know, of course it feels magical to come back to your home state. And also there's a place I love to vacation there, which is this island that there's no automobiles and there's a beautiful grand hotel decorated by Dorothy Draper. And it's, Amazing. It's called Mackinac Island and it's called the Grand Hotel. Oh, yeah. Do you know it? Yeah. It's really amazing. And so when I, that's the first place I always want to go back to when I think about Michigan, because it's something in my childhood, but it's also glamorous and like of stepping back in time. I love that. So 
beyond the tour, like what are the things that are exciting that you're looking forward to? Like we're all going to, you know, post pandemic, everyone's going to run out. What's the first thing that you want to, to kind of do? Well, besides the show, I mean, I'm really excited about the idea of being in front of, you know, 2,500 people in a theater, especially about, I'm going to be at the London Palladium for five nights in March. And that's like, you know, you talk about Gypsy Rose Lee, I'm friends with her son. And he said that the London Palladium was like the pinnacle of his mother's career. So I get very excited when I get to have my moment on stage there, but there's nothing like being in front of, you know, in a, in a room full of people. And, you know, all of, when you go to my show, it's a scene and people get really dressed up, you know, and that's where you see, talk about seeing a lot of red lipstick. And it's just like a scene where you feel like everyone's letting, you know, living their glamorous life and in their, on their own terms. And it's like a lot of energy in the room, not just like for me performing in front of that many people. It's like all of us there together is really exciting. So that's what I really can't wait to wait till I get to do again. Hopefully nothing will get in the way of that. <laughs> so like Gypsy Rose Lee, for people who haven't had the opportunity to see you perform live, you don't take it all off. No, I mean, it's an evolution too. It's like, I've been playing yeah. with in the last few years, even doing magic. And this year I'm doing a whole ballroom dance striptease thing, but I kind of like there's no thing like when I was younger where I felt very, I need to like do it exactly the way it was done in the forties to be true to the art form, which was pasties in a G string. And, you know, I, it's risque, but I also always felt like, I think it's important to the history of it to be true to it. And people were trying to make me like, you know, candy coated or make it more G rated. But I just felt like, why, you know, I like the history of burlesque and what it was in America. But now I feel also like I like presenting a great burlesque show with lots of different types of performers, just as many men in the show as women in the show. And I think a lot more about just variety show or little moments of striptease, but it doesn't have to be always like, here I am in my pasties and G-string in the champagne glass again. I keep thinking about like, how do I evolve this in my different stages of life and still embrace like sensuality and glamour and the spirit of burlesque. But maybe I don't always need to like end up in my G string, <laughs> you know, is this one a little darker? Is it a little bit more goth and dark? Not really, because I like to take things like it, it's called glaminatrix, which I kind of, I just came up with that term because I liked glamour and dominant and fetishistic glamour, but I like making it fun and vibrant and playful. You know, there's, it's got all these fetishistic themes, but for instance, there's like a whole circus fetish theme and I, you know, wear a Hussar style circus uniform. I, I love the fetishistic clothing and the ideas, but how do we make it playful and fun and unexpected? What magic tricks do you do? <laughs> well, let's see. Last year for my New Year's Eve show, or not last year, last time, I did a whole thing where I did an illusion where I appeared in a box, like a magician made me appear in a box in a beautiful gown. And then the magician, the mysterious magician levitated me and I went into there and then the mysterious magician pulled the cloth and I was gone. And then the mysterious magician turned around and it was me all along. That was really fun to work with all these master magicians on how to make that happen. And and then I did another thing where I float a long stem rose around the stage, like in midair and do with the rose through the, through the hoop and all these kinds of things. Amazing. 
Amazing. Dita, do you remember when you became a Viva Glam spokesperson? Oh, I remember it so well. <laughs> do you remember when you called Pamela Anderson? <laughs> yes. What did yes. Pamela Anderson give you as your advice? Okay. So at that time, you know, I was following in Pam Anderson's footsteps and she did such an amazing job. I thought like she was so visible and so present for that. And I just, all I could think was like, this is big shoes to fill. Right. And I thought I, I, I want to do a good job. I want to do my best. And so I asked her and she just said, like, I don't remember. I feel like we were maybe, maybe it wasn't even a phone call. Maybe it was in real life, like with a glass of champagne. And she said, don't use studio fix. And of course I was like, I love studio fix, you know? So I've always, and I still use studio fix, but she was like, don't use studio fix. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? She was no, like, she told you not to use studio fix powder. Yes. Specifically because it's aging. I think that's what she said, but like, I'm obsessed with studio fix powder. And I mean, I know lots of people love it. Gwen Stefani loves her studio fix too. We love our studio fix. So I'm still using it. You know, nothing bad has happened to me. <laughs> no, it's a wonderful product. I love high stakes makeup tips from Panam Anderson. I think that's like a, yeah. she should have a blog or she should have. <laughs> I know. I, well, I also remember hearing like, that she was, you know, she was pretty wild, like out on the town. And I remember being in London while she was, I wasn't Viva Glam yet, but she was promoting it and she was totally wild. And she was out on the party scene and on all the tabloids. And somebody later told me they were doing her makeup and she would just like wash, you know, the bottom part of her face and keep the eye makeup on from the day before. And like that would, you know, as the days went on, it just, in her opinion, looked better and better that like black, dark hour eye makeup. So I always thought that was funny. A total icon. I love her. She's amazing. She did Dancing with the Stars before me. And I actually asked her because she did the one in Paris and I wrote her and I asked her about it, but I didn't hear back. But I thought maybe she, maybe I didn't want to hear what she had to say about it. because I thought of all the things I'm going to tell the next person that wants to go do Dancing with the Stars in France. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I, I love the Dancing with the Stars saga and all of the kind of expectations around Dancing with the Stars. It's hysterical. Yeah, it was really fun. I wouldn't change a thing. Yes, I would change a few things, but I had a great time and no regrets at all. <laughs> did she do the French version too? Or did yes. she do? Oh my gosh. She did. She did. One of my favorite things is watching her dances on YouTube. She has an, <laughs> a great contemporary dance that I've watched maybe 75 times. What does Dita Von Teese stream on TV? I am really into that show on Hulu, that The Great, you know? Yeah. Have you watched that? I have. I love that. That's one that I like savor. You could have been in that. I would love, you know, that I love that era of costumes and it's so clever and funny and things like I love things like that, like really the costume drama things that are really well done. You know, there's a lot that are not well done that I can't, that I'm not into. Did you watch Bridgerton? That's exactly what I was talking about. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, <laughs> I was like. <laughs> the shade. I know. I don't know. I mean, I tried and then I was like, I can't with this because I like to fall into the, like, not this realistic, but maybe I didn't really try. Okay. I, I watched a little bit and I was like, Oh God, everybody's so like, they're like 15 years old and they're all beautiful. And I'm, I just, I don't know. There's, I like, uh, did you watch white Lotus? I love white Lotus. I love Jennifer Coolidge. I mean, she's, I'll watch anything with her in it. I like, but no, white like Lotus. selling sunset or something like this. I don't know what that is. Good for you. 
<laughs> not watching 90 Day Fiance or anything like that. I did watch F Boy Island. <laughs> what is it? It's I don't know if you can it's called F Boy Island and it's basically about like this island and they have a bunch of like nice guys and a bunch of F boys and the three girls have to try to find the nice guys so they can find a nice boyfriend but they're getting totally bamboozled by the F boys so I got totally hooked on that show Would you ever do like a celebrity version of like any of these reality? Like, is, does that, would you do that? Like one of these where like big brother get lost in all of these things? Oh my gosh. I don't think so. I think I would, I think I had enough like dose of like the reality TV thing on dancing with the stars. And I was already like perturbed by the lack of good lighting when you're rehearsing and just like, I I can't with that. You know, I don't know. It'd have to be like, really, I don't know what it would have to be. I know you, you had the passing of your beloved cat, Alistair, during the pandemic. Yes, I was traumatized by that. You know how much I loved Alistair. He was traveling with me all over the world. He was a, for those who don't know, Alistair was my Devon Rex. He was 17 and he went everywhere with me. Loved to travel. There's videos of him riding on the top of my suitcases at the airport. And so Alistair left me in 2020. And yeah, that was, that was hard. You have sausage dogs too. I did. I had sausage dogs from when I was in my early 20s and they both lived to be like 17 and 18. And now I'm just with, I just have cats because I discovered Devon Rexes are kind of like dogs and cat outfits. <laughs> How many cats do you have? I have two right now because, you know, when I lost Alistair, one of one of my friends that has these kind of cats took pity on me and gave me one of her show cats, a show Devon Rex, a retired show girl. And so I have her. She's sitting here with me right now. And yeah, she was the only thing to really do when you lose a pet is make sure you have another one. I subscribe to that. For sure. Yes. Yeah. I feel like I would never only have one solo animal again. I feel very like you need somebody there to soften the blow. Have you been to John's zoo that he has? Not in a long time. I feel like you probably have a bigger zoo than before. And I have seven dogs and three cats. So it's (gasps) seven dogs. Seven dogs and three cats. (gasps) Wow. And not like seven dogs you don't see, like seven dogs that like are ready to party. Uh, yeah, it, like a full, like a pack. I have a, it's a pack. Uh-huh. It's a total pack. One nice. in, one out. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see these dogs. Yes. What are you listening to on, when you drive the car? Let's see. What have I been listening to? Uh, I, oh God, it's so embarrassing. I mean, sometimes I'm listening to music that I would consider for my shows, just what you would think. And then I'm listening to like The Weeknd, you know, <laughs> I got a crush on The Weeknd. Yeah. You have a crush on The Weeknd? Yeah, totally. You have a history rooted in music, so. <laughs> yeah, I can't. No, but I love like music people, my music taste. One time I went to Spotify, had me come to their Can Lion thing. Do you know what that is? It's like the big 
convention and the film. Anyway, they had me come and they said, well, are you willing to let us analyze your music listening in front of the world? And I was like, okay. And they were, they basically said, don't even try right now to listen to anything cool or to adjust what you're listening to, because we already have your whole history right here. And it was so funny and embarrassing at the same time to like watch them analyze my music and, and what it means like data wise. What was your top Spotify song this year? It was, oh, this year? Yeah. Did you, did you look? I think it was, I didn't look, but I believe it was something. First of all, I said, it can't be that. I think it was a George Michael song because I loved George Michael. It was a George Michael song singing, George Michael singing a Rufus Wainwright song, a very beautiful song called Going to a Town. And that was actually my number one played song. And I think the second was like Moon River, but then it's goes quickly like Olivia Rodrigo. (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm more of like an electronic music person or like Beyonce and the weekend, but there's no radio played music. I, but I love like electronic music. Did you like Megan the stallion? I did. I liked, I like watching her. I like watching her perform. Ooh, Dita, what do you think about Cardi B like coming in, you know, from the world of like, obviously she did mm-hmm. kind of like dancing and all of that type of thing. What do you think about Cardi? Well, when Megan Thee Stallion and she did that Grammys performance where she slid down the vagina pillows thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know the one? Yes. Yeah, of course. I fell apart and I watched that like 25 times and I called everyone I knew and told them to watch it immediately. And I was rejoicing. I enjoyed it. I loved seeing something like that on TV and the silk satin vagina shaped pillows were a big highlight for me. Yeah, it was just artfully done where it wasn't a vagina at all. They just zhuzhed the satin into a very particular shape that was obvious to me, but maybe not to everyone. I love a nuance. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I just thought of them like how they were probably trying to censor stuff like that, but they were like, what are you talking about, the pillows? It's just satin. It's just pleated satin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love things like that. Talk to us for one second, because one of the things that obviously we're, we wanted you know to talk about is is around Viva Glam's out again this year. Yes, you know we're with Viva Glam twenty seven paying tribute to Keith Haring and doing mm-hmm. all of those wonderful things. It's I know that you've always been very passionate about you know HIV AIDS and the LGBTQIA community. So I would love to hear you know. How did you get started in that? How did you find that as an audience and really as a helper inside of those Mm -hmm. communities? Well, I have this new Viva Glam trio in front of me and it's amazing. I'm not sure I can wear yellow lipstick, but I love this packaging and everything. It's fabulous. And the red is beautiful. I guess like, I'm not sure, John, you know what year I was Viva Glam spokesperson, but I was really... It was 2006, actually. Yeah. I think the thing that I really loved about being part of that was watching how much progress was made, especially at that time. I feel like there were all these things, you know, it was, it was really like, you could see what was happening and how, you know, things were evolving. Like I remember taking one of the first like real time AIDS tests where you could sit there and get the results. And of course that was scary because I was sitting here going, I don't know, I've never had an AIDS test. But I thought like seeing the strides that were made was very exciting. And, you know, I was really glad that I got to be part of that. And I learned so much and also aligning with the AMFAR events and, you know, seeing that they are near to a cure is very exciting too. 
So I just always think about like, if it weren't for companies like Mac and the Mac AIDS fund and Amfar and Elizabeth Taylor foundation, like what would have happened really? Like, uh, (laughs) I just, I I find it really disturbing to think about what would have happened if it weren't for, you know, Viva Glam and the Mac AIDS fund. And you traveled the world for Mac. I did. And Viva Glam. You were Paris, London, LA, Art Basel, uh, New York. I mean, you, Miami. I mean, you did so many things on the ground for charity, doing public service announcements. Honestly, you created such a stir in the fashion world. And everywhere that you went, you spoke with such eloquence and heart and brought such glamour and bravado and life and and, and glamour to the campaign. So you're one of the icons that I've ever worked with. I know Drew also has some Dita Vantis sightings or moments as well from his... um, Oh, from Paper Magazine, from the Heatherette days. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like, all those times were so wild and fun. Dita, can I ask you, too, you know, like, what are your advice to young people? Like, I think before it was cool to, like, build a brand. Like, you really, like, built a brand and made that modern. Like, what's your advice to young people who want to... You, whether it's use makeup to transform or mm-hmm. like, what's your advice to kids who want to do things like you do? You know, I think that I got lucky in a lot of ways where I kind of was doing something that was not very, not popular yet, but I did it because it was in my heart and I loved it. And I did it with a sense of authenticity and integrity. And I was kind of, I wasn't trying to be famous. I didn't expect to be famous. I just did it because I enjoyed it. Like I liked making pinup pictures. And in my mind, I was doing something like, oh, this is my 15 minutes of fame. I'm, you know, I'm on a billboard in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. You know, like (laughs) to me, every moment was like something I had gratitude for. And I didn't look at like, oh, I need to be doing what they're doing. Like I didn't think to myself like, Oh, I would much rather be having that person's career. I just was really into what I was doing. So I guess I would just say, try, you know, and even now when people go, what are your big goals? Like, what's something you, and I say, I don't really have goals. I'm just doing everything as, you know, in the moment as best I can and doing things that I enjoy that if I like, you know, got hit by a car tomorrow and died, I would be like, I was doing what I liked doing instead of looking at what's in the future because there's no guaranteed future. And so I don't know how to put that into like simple advice, but it's like, if you, what a lot of people I think are looking for fame and reward of fame or recognition, but if you're doing something you genuinely love, that reward is already there. And I just think that it's trying to think about what that is for you. Diana Vreeland said that the key to success is to find a look. Mm, well, that too. <laughs> and, and if anyone, if anyone in the world found a look, it was you, Dita Vantis. So when you vibe creating who you are today, from Heather from Michigan mm-hmm. to global glamour burlesque star Dita Vantis. Who were you looking at? Were you looking at Betty Page? Were you looking at Ava Gardner or Marilyn Monroe? Or It's kind of like my look is a combination of a bunch of things that had an imprint on me early on. Like 
you know, listen, the cat eye eyeliner is more of like a late fifties, early sixties look, but I wear, I like to wear forties themed hair and forties clothes and thirties this. So I think it's because when I was, you know, when I was a little girl, I, I loved watching movies from the forties because my mother liked it too. And as I got older and started playing with makeup and hair and clothes and glamour and like, you know, in learning about artifice and what it can do, I think it was, you know, I went through phases where I was really into like a 20s look and I would do that. And then I would do a 30s thing and a 40s thing and a 50s. And so my look is a combination of all of these things put together. And so, you know, even when people are like, oh, no, that look is already done. Well, it wasn't really because I put together like a 40s hair and a 50s lip and a, you know, almost a 60s cat eye, which... So that's kind of my look, but that's not a pinup girl look. That's like a pinup girl look is just lashes and lips, you know, and pink cheeks. So I think it's just the combination of all these different phases I went through when I was younger. And, you know, I picked and chose and suddenly I was like, well, this is just my look is a combination of all these imprints that I experienced. Does Judivant Tish do TikTok? Oh my God. I was just yesterday trying to... not trying to figure out how to do it because I don't really understand why people want to lip sync or to another person's voice. I don't really understand that, but I did just get my account. I'm trying to get my account verified because somebody's sitting on all my other accounts and claiming to be me. So I'm trying to figure that piece out right now. I think this is something else John could absolutely take you through. He can do a whole TikTok tutorial for you. Oh, right. Um, okay. Obviously. Okay. Obviously, it can take you through the TikTok rabbit hole because it's actually for you. It's an endless journey through the looking glass. Yeah, I need a lesson because I don't really, I don't fully understand it. I was scrolling through it a little bit and I found a few things that I saw disturbing. I was like, oh, I don't really like some of the stage stuff of somebody throwing something at somebody. I was like, oh, it's like flipping the channels and you don't know what you're going to get. But I would like to figure out how to use it. The more that you like it, it's like Spotify. It'll start to follow you. You need to okay. do some dancing <laughs> duets. Some dancing duet stitches with you would be fabulous. Okay. I don't even know what a dancing duet stitch is, but I'll go to TikTok school. <laughs> no, I won't. There's no TikTok school. And I think that's a whole other dancing with stars. Yeah. It could be TikTok school with Dita Von Teese. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not a selfie queen is the problem. I'm just, I'm one of those people that I really kind of cringe. I don't really love to point the camera at myself, believe it or not. I like doing photo shoots and I love making shows, but I'm a little bit like not good at talking to the camera and talking like, I'm not good at that. Hey, you guys, it's me here. I'm, it's like, not really, I'm a little bit too shy for that in a lot of ways. So Dita, do you have like a Zoom setup like in the pandemic? Did you like do a whole, because you said the lighting was really important. Did you have like right. a Dita Von Teese like Zoom experience? No, you know what? I mean, I kind of do now, like I have my light that I know how to put on, but I actually, during the pandemic, I was that person that said, you know what, it's time to rest and like work on self, you know? I, I was more like, I'm going to start writing. I'm going to like go inward instead of make content because I got like a lot of people, I had lots of people wanting me to create content for them. And I felt like, uh, I don't really, you know, I don't, I, 
I didn't want it. I didn't want to do it. I wanted to rest. I wanted to like think about what my next moves are. And I wanted to take care of like my personal self and personal life. So I didn't really get into all of that. Like do, do, I didn't do like, I only did an online like live streaming show, uh, that it aired in September because I wanted to do it, you know, in a, a very polished way. I just didn't want to dim my luster and have people see me doing like a show from my living room. You know, it felt like yeah. not really, it could be not great. I mean, I did do a show from my backyard actually. <laughs> did you have any like aha moments? Like, oh my goodness. Like I never knew this about myself or like, this is something I didn't expect. Yeah. I mean, I had like, because I'm so used to like traveling and running around and getting kind of high off of stress and busyness. And I had like some interestingly, like some chronic pain issues. And as soon as I started like stopping and dealing with things and like looking at my life and dealing with things that I didn't want to deal with, like personal stuff. And, you know, I suddenly, my chronic pain went away and I went like, you needed to stop and like actually rest and think and deal with like, you know, personal things, if that makes sense. Work on, you know, meditate and <laughs> do like slow down. Actually, you know, who gave me this advice was maybe, you know, do you remember Alona Royce Smithskin who just passed away recently? She was one of the advanced style ladies of glamour. Oh yeah. Yes. And she actually called me on the phone. She used to call me and give me advice, which I loved getting from her. She's 102, 102 years old. And she was the one that told me during the pandemic that I've done all this work. It's time to slow down and rest and go a little bit inward instead of like scrambling to create content and be working and busy. 100%. Well, Dita, mm -hmm. you are amazing. And thank you for being our very first guest on the T-Zone. <laughs> we thought actually that it's turned out this way, that we're inaugurating the T-Zone with the Dita Von T-Zone. I like it. <laughs> I love it. Makes sense. I like it. <laughs> yes. And thanks for revealing part of yourself. And <laughs> <laughs> the art of the T's. <laughs> You revealed, you revealed a bit, yeah. but you always keep them coming back for more. And <laughs> oh, thank you. That's thank the beauty you. of the person that you are. Thank you. It's good to talk to you. And I hope I get to see you in person sometime soon. I, I want to see you with a glass of champagne and you in a champagne glass. Yes. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. We want to thank everyone for tuning in to today's show. Thank you, Dita Von Teese. And we hope that you are all feel inspired to go out and to purchase a MAC Viva Glam lipstick. 100% of the selling price will go back to supporting healthy futures and equal rights for all. So when you spend $19, we donate $19. So it's very, very simple. And we're also excited about the series. I'm excited. John, are you excited? I'm super excited. I'm going to look forward to this every single week. I hope that everybody subscribes to this and shares it with all their friends and signs up to connect with us. I'm Drew Elliott. And I'm John Dempsey. And this has been The T-Zone, brought to you by Mac Cosmetics. Mac Cosmetics.